First Church and Parish in Dedham, Living Outside the Box, the Reverend Raleigh Weaver, March 29th, 2009. Once per month I hold a meeting at the Parsonage for the Christian clergy of the UUA. As you might imagine, this is a very small group of ministers, mostly aging and generally men. I generally make soup and I serve my colleagues as they sit around my dining room table and then we sit around the living room with cups of tea and a fire and discuss theology. Just last Friday this happened and as we sat in my living room discussing the Word of God and the Word of Man by Karl Barth, I felt I had a glimmer of what discussions were like in Anne Hutchinson's parlor. The main difference, perhaps, is that in Anne's discussions, they weren't analyzing the ideas of other theologians, but reading scripture and sermons and determining the truth for themselves. Anne felt perfectly confident to express her ideas, ideas that were later deemed by those who felt threatened by her to be heretical. In contrast, I sit with my more learned colleagues and often fall silent and simply listen to their ramblings. Part of the problem is that in our theological discussions, I often read the text through a different lens. As I read Barth or Tillich, I generally ask myself, could this be true? While my colleagues are reading and trying to see what theological premise supports the ideas we are studying. So basically, while I come prepared to discuss the substance, they wish to discuss the framework. As I read the book Peter chose for me to preach on this Sunday, American Jezebel by Eve LaPlante, I began to realize that shift of focus was exactly what got Anne Hutchinson into trouble. As the mother of 12 living children and one grandchild at the time of her hearing, I imagine Anne Hutchinson had little interest in complicated theological frameworks and was instead more focused on the direct teaching that would inspire goodness and right living. For example, she was certain that God could not mean for the Puritans to convert Native Americans and if they would not be converted, to kill them in the name of Christ. To her, this was a simple, straightforward truth from the Bible. She did not need a preacher to tell her it was not so. The Bible calls us to love our neighbor. And then commandments say, thou shalt not kill. So how could the righteous answer be any different? These were, of course, different times in many ways. Fortunately, as I sit in my living room listening to my beloved colleagues rattle on about which theological boxes to place Christian ideals, I am not concerned about their salvation, no matter how wrong-headed I think their thoughts become. And yet, in Anne's day, the concern for salvation was palpable to everyone. Who would or would not be saved was of the utmost concern. Anne Hutchinson lived an upright life. She was a midwife and a mother. Because of the high mortality rate of her own brood of 12 and the countless of other women whom she had helped to deliver healthy children, Anne had quite a bit of clout within the community. And yet, she was still a woman. The Puritan role for women at the time of the founding of our country was a domestic one. In general, women were looked locked into the role of domestic caregiver while men were busy in the political and social spheres. Anne Hutchinson was most happy in her role as a woman. 
She was a mother and a midwife. By all accounts, she cared for her family with deep love and affection. She did not rail against the role of women in her day, but was instead a religious dissenter who opposed the Puritan principle of conformity to religious laws. Despite this, Hutchinson was most likely tried and convicted because of her gender. Most historians have suggested that she fell victim to contemporary mores surrounding the role of women in Puritan society. Hutchinson spoke her mind freely, within the context of a male hierarchy unaccustomed to outspoken women. Alternately, she may also have been persecuted because she spoke up against the established church and state government. The extent to which she was persecuted was perhaps proportional to the threat the established rulers saw in her, considering the number of people who followed her and the threat that that may have posed. Through her teachings, Anne Hutchinson was calling for her friends and neighbors to oppose unrighteous action. She stated outright in her trial, she believed that, and I quote, laws, commands, rules, and edicts are for those who have not the light which makes plain the pathway. In 1637, Puritan ministers throughout the Massachusetts area had labeled Anne Hutchinson a Jezebel because they viewed her as infecting women with perverse and abominable ideas. John Winthrop, who was named governor that same year, stated that he considered Anne to be a threat to the city on a hill. Governor Winthrop and the established religious hierarchy considered many of her comments in her discussion groups to be heretical, in particularly, specifically, her unfounded criticism of an unor from an unorthodox source. In the year that our church was founded, 1638, Anne Hutchinson was tried by the General Court of Massachusetts, presided over by that same John Winthrop, on the charge of ridiculing the ministers. The court was made up of government officials and Puritan clergy, all men, and held a hearing at the First Church in Boston. Anne Hutchinson was 46 at the time of her trial and pregnant for the 15th time. She was forced to stand for several days before a board of all-male interrogators as they tried desperately to get her to admit her wrongdoing. They accused her of violating the Fifth Commandment to honor her father and mother, accusing her of encouraging dissent against the fathers of the Commonwealth. Anne skillfully defended herself, mainly using scripture in which she was well-versed. When it was clear that there was no escape from the court's predetermined judgment, she asserted that her only judge and jury was Almighty God. This brought jeers from those gathered who claimed that she was an instrument of Satan. Following her arraignment, an exhausted Anne suffered a miscarriage as a result of the arduous trial and then relocated with her family to Rhode Island. The fathers of this commonwealth gloated and called the miscarriage divine judgment. There is much more to Anne Hutchinson's story, some of it startling and some of it sad. I'm not going to tell you all of it because I hope you'll read the book and study her life for yourself and make sense of it in your own way. Anne Hutchinson's life was both heroic and tragic, 
offering a critique of how a belief system might both inspire and constrict. It is clear from all vantage points that in the end, Anne Hutchinson was persecuted much more for her growing influence over men and women than she was any radical idea she might have had. I believe her example to us is less of how we are to live a righteous life, as she might have wanted us to consider, and much more how to live a life of faith grounded in action. What Anne Hutchinson did at every turn in her life was to hold so tight to her her ideals that they informed her every action. As I sat in my own living room last Friday, I realized that I was not doing the same thing. As my colleagues rattled on about theories that I thought were purposeless and shallow, I confess to you that in my heart I wondered what good is theology, even the theology of Karl Barth, if it does not inform your spirit. But instead of speaking those words aloud and shifting the intellectual conversation, I sat and listened as my elder colleagues rattled on. I did so in part because I believe this is what these ministers expect of me. Perhaps it is unconscious, but it is partly because of my age and partly because of my gender that I believe they expect me to remain silent while they prove their deep knowledge of the subject matter. As we sat at lunch on Friday, I realized all that my male colleagues had to say to me was how much they liked my soup, how nice the dishes were, and how I looked as though I'd lost weight. From the moment they entered my house, either I or they put me in the role of woman, and even in this year, 2009, that put me in a place where I had much physical nourishment to offer, but little intellectual authority to share. I confess this to you today because, in part, it reflects what I admire most about Anne Hutchinson. By all accounts, Anne Hutchinson was not a feminist, asserting her rights as a woman to have a brain. Instead, living fully within her role as a woman, she emerged as a voice of inspiration to many, based solely in her focus on intuition and a sense of what is right. Not being a Puritan myself, I would, of course, champion a different cause, and yet I know there are times I fall completely into limited expectations of myself, lose all authority to speak, and champion nothing. Thankfully, that rarely happens from this pulpit. The main risk in living our lives outside the boxes of expectations of others that surround us today has little to do with excommunication from the commonwealth, or eternal damnation, but instead lies in our willingness or unwillingness to stretch our own souls. The risk involved in living outside of the box of our own limitations is in its simplest form leaving our comfort zone of our own imagined place, and at its greatest menace lies in disconcerting others who cannot see beyond the cultural expectations that surround us all. If we can stay grounded in our own convictions as Anne Hutchinson did, the reward is that our way will be clear and our conscience pure. May it be so.